Right away, the feeling when it shifts from waking up and running feels like an obligation rather than an opportunity, and it's no longer a choice, it's something you have to do. I think that's a very early sign of burnout. Also had to realize I felt that everybody cared what my results were and what I was going to do in reality. <laughs> and this is a good reality. Reality is nobody cares. You know, the obligation coupled with the idea that I felt pressure from outside pressure coming in. Those are really early signs of burnout that I continued to live into when I transitioned to the trails. I thought the trails would relieve me of that, but I didn't put in the upfront work of really honing in on those two early signs of burnout. So back to when I was crewing Canyons 100K. This is the second year that I've been at Canyons 100K, not running, just crewing or being around people there. And I drove up there with Obi and we crewed Adam and Adam ends up winning. And I also had seen during that crew time, some of my Santa Barbara friends running it and just like having a great time. They were eating quesadillas. They were just like having a great, good old grand time ultra running. We were driving back um, from Auburn. It was like a five hour drive. And I remember I didn't turn on any podcast, any music. It was just me and Obi. And I was just driving and I felt like, huh, there seems to be, there's a feeling in my stomach and I'm not sure what it is. So I like really just sat and like thought, up, thought about it for the hours of the drive. For the first time in several, several months, I had missed something about running. It wasn't that I wanted to go out there and win 100, 100K. It wasn't that I, you know, wanted to break a personal best or really wanted to train again. It was really the people. Hey guys, welcome to the Run Free Podcast, where we talk about our holistic approach to coaching using our holistic five principles. Today we're talking with Coach Courtney Barnes about her journey as a professional track athlete, turned trail runner, retired, and now back from retirement. Courtney has a lot of interesting insight in how we can live happy, healthy lives as we pursue our goals as runners. I'm your host, Chad Hall, and this is the Run Free Podcast. All right, Courtney, welcome back to the podcast. This is your second time on with us. And I know uh, Jay and I are excited to talk to you about updates on life and what's been going on. Um, I think the last time we left off with you, you were getting into trail running, kind of coming from the track scene, um, starting that process. And you and Ryan talked a lot about you know, how running integrates into your lifestyle and how those things interact with each other. So fill us in a little bit. What, what have you been up to for the last few years? Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm super pumped to be here and fill in fill in some of the gaps and continue on this horrendously amazing saga of of what is running in my life. But um past few years, yeah, I think when we last touched base, I was getting into the trail scene, kind of had a little bit of a burnout mentally and physically from the track and found myself like at so much comfort and love and joy in the trails and really wanting to explore that side of things and so I really just jumped like full into that and um I jumped into a little bit of ultra stuff a little bit of mountain fast racing and just tried to test you know out my strengths and weaknesses and figure out what I was good at or what I wasn't good at and in the middle of all that I had to move um physically my husband Evan and I moved from Flagstaff, Arizona to Santa Barbara, California. And amidst that move, I was really trying to like keep the grind going and really try to become what I thought I could be in the trail world. And 
I think as a result of that move and a lot of other varying factors, I, <laughs> I, I tell people now that I went into a, a soft retirement um, as a result of that. And we can talk about that um, more in depth later, but I kind of took a break from running and then got some spark to run, to start running back again about 12, 15 ish weeks ago. So I think the move was a big deal for me um, in a lot of ways, but um, has since been really healthy for my running and for my life in general. So yeah, it's a lot to pull from, but here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you did you go after the racing on the trails pretty significantly? Like, were you racing frequently? Yeah, I did. I just really went all in on training, racing. I When I went into the trails too, um, you know, I had planned, we had planned on moving to California. And so I picked up a new coach, new training group, new training routine. A lot of things changed at once, um, all, you know, coupled with me really trying to just, I think, prove myself in the trail world. And I think my entry into the trail world, I was reflecting back this week with some friends as I was running my entry into the trail world was a little harsh because I put a ton of expectations on myself that weren't realistic and probably set me up for failure long-term, um, which eventually led me to like, kind of need to take a break. Uh, when I went into the trail world of racing, um, I went in thinking like, I'm going to prove myself. I want to be the best in the country in this. I know I can be the best in the country. I have a lot of belief in it. Um, but I think by me doing that, and not allowing a natural progression and not allowing me to love it, I think really set me up for some harsh realities of if I had a bad race, I was like, who am I? Why am I doing this? And so I kind of got back into the mindset of where I was racing on the track professionally of like, if I'm not winning, what is the point of this? Why am I training so hard for this? If I'm not, you know, the one crossing the finish line first. Um, and having those results that I thought I could achieve right away. Yeah, that's, it's interesting. I feel like that transition to trails, like, because I've dabbled in this a little bit, um, where, you know, training on trails, a lot of your miles are a little bit slower. Like, there's time to kind of enjoy, like, your surroundings. But when you still have that racing aspect, like, you can stay, like you said, in that same mindset is racing on the track, racing on the roads. It's, like, really high performance. And those races, like... I told you a little bit about my experience racing at Speedgoat. It was hard. Like that was not at all easy. Like you were grinding for a long time. Um, so what were your expectations? Like, did you feel like the transition to trails at all, you wanted your mindset around running to change? Yeah, I think like not my natural progression toward the trails, there was something there. There was something innate that I loved about the training, the community really, at large, I felt more at home with, but I think I, what I didn't check was my mind and my expectations of, you know, you're really switching your athlete mindset when you go from trails to track or track to trails, whatever it is, it's a totally different world. And I thought, well, if I change my training and I'm loving the people I'm around, then the racing's just going to come and I can you know, essentially have those results that I had on the track right away. You know, it took me 10 years to get those results on the track. And I was expecting to have those results on the trails in 10 weeks. And that just wasn't a reality. Um, and so I think 
the expectations I gave myself weren't lenient enough and truly weren't setting me up for any sort of success holistically, like really. And I look back at more recent exposure to running and training and re-entering back into racing with a mindset of doing it because you love it, reminding yourself why you got into the sport in the first place and erasing expectations and starting a, on a starting line to be healthy mentally and physically and knowing that you chose to be there and that's an exciting opportunity rather than approaching a start line and saying, if I don't get top three or I don't win, it's a failure and I'm coming away from this and have to figure out what's wrong with me. Does that make sense? Hey, Courtney, I've got a question for you that um, you mentioned the word burnout. You know, mm -hmm. you felt like you're burning out on the track. What were some of those, like, it sounds almost like you experienced some burnout, you noticed some signs and some symptoms of burnout, and then you switched modes to go to the trails. And then from what you're saying, it seems like you were almost starting to go back down that path again. So my question is, like, what were the sensations and the feelings that came up that you were like, hey, this is going off the rails. This is not uh, a good path. And then how would you rein that back in? Yeah, for sure. That's really, you're right on. Um, I think right away, the feeling when it shifts from waking up and running feels like an obligation rather than an opportunity and it's no longer a choice. It's something you have to do. I think that's a very early sign of burnout. When you wake up and you're like, oh, shoot, I've got to get out the door. I've got to get this done because I told myself I would do it or because I need to get that result, I think was a really early sign of burnout. And I think I just leaned into that for way too long and it became something that it was an obligation and it was something that I was furthering away from the joy and the opportunity and the choice and rather feeling like, well, I told myself I'm transitioning to trail. And so I have to live up to that. And I have to, you know, really prove myself, which is funny. You know, I think along the lines of the obligation is the idea that other people are watching and care about you. And that's a really tricky subject to go down. And you know, I could talk forever on that, but I ha also had to realize I felt that everybody cared what my results were and what I was going to do in reality. <laughs> and this is a good reality. Reality is nobody cares whether you're first or you're last, whether you're running or you're not. And so I think, you know, the obligation coupled with the idea that I felt pressure from outside pressure coming in those are really early signs of burnout that I continued to live into when I transitioned to the trails I thought the trails would relieve me of that and it was almost like I need to get out of the track world so I'm going to transition here but I didn't put in the upfront work of really honing in on those two early signs of burnout you know and so fast forward I competed on the trails for about a year and then didn't ever address those problems those problems for me needed to be addressed by some serious time away and some like really harsh realities of like really living into like, okay, nobody is telling you to do this. Who has been telling you to do this? Where are these expectations coming from? Why do you feel like you're failing every time you do something? And so how I was relieved of that burnout was exactly that. I took eight months off of running. <laughs> and I think it really was able to 
allow my narrow vision to be broadened and see, oh, who I am, like, in reality in this world, there's so much more, you know, my mantra all the time is I'm more than just a runner. And I say that all the time, but I also get super narrow visioned. You know, I say that because I think it's one of my biggest struggles is that identity and only finding it in one aspect of life or sport, whatever that is. Do you, do you think, I, I've thought about this myself, where sometimes when things do go well, you almost create this like addiction to that where you just want to recreate that pattern, right? Um, do you think that's where that starts? Like that kind of like where we start to wrap our identity in our running and our performance with running? Yeah, that's so so true i totally relate with that like you have these highs of these really great performances or really great training blocks or really great experiences whatever it is and then you come off of those and you try to just recreate that but you forget about all of the steps leading up to that you forget about all the work you put in you know like yeah sure workouts or a training plan you forget about that work but you also forget about the work mentally <laughs> that led you to that like what were you doing to um, relieve yourself of that pressure? Or what were you doing to find balance in your day-to-day -day life? Or how were you starting your days or ending your days or meditating or praying, whatever it was, you forgot about that other side that you probably had that led you to that success and why that was so successful. And I think my experience at Trans Rockies just 10, uh, two weeks ago was a really great opportunity for me to start from scratch and really work on the day-to-day -day mental internal game and choosing running as an opportunity rather than an obligation and reminding myself that each day and then to see what the result was with that I think I finally was able to like rekindle some of that feeling and that's really special I think because that's what keeps you loving the sport and it reminds you of why you fell in love with it in the first place yeah totally I think that like uh, so when I was cycling a bunch, there's this thing that would happen where if I'd done a climb or if I was doing a climb for the very first time, zero expectation about what my performance on that climb would be. It used sometimes that'd be my best performance because then every time ever or every time after that, I'd be looking at my splits where I was at certain parts. And I think we do that all the time where like sometimes that first breakout performance you have probably came because you didn't have that high of expectations and you were actually like running with some amount of freedom, right? And then after that, we get kind of strapped to like, I got to keep progressing. I want to keep this pattern going. Um, so did you feel like, I guess that I want to get to like, you took eight months off of running. You just like made this decision. I need a break away from it, right? And then so what, I guess what, what was the significant like, how did that decision process go? And then what was it like coming back to running from that? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, you nailed it with the expectation stuff. Like, and that's why, you know, currently I'm like on this addiction of like, let's see what else I can do that I've never done. Because I love the idea of entering into something with no expectations. And I think that's really keeps me healthy and excited. But yeah, as far as the soft retirement goes, <laughs> um, it, was it was last October, so almost a year ago, crazy enough. Um, I had raced um, a Spartan US Trail Championship in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I had a great race. I won the race, I ran really well, um, and I woke up the next morning and 
I was literally as simple as I woke up and I was like, I don't want to run anymore. And I think, you know, it can be really simplified in that moment, but looking back, I think I was ready for something. I was ready for some time away. I was ready for myself to take a step into the uncomfortable and to challenge myself self without running. Um, so I think it was a long time coming. I wasn't necessarily like leading into the race thinking, oh, I'm going to retire after this or, oh, like I'm feeling really like tired body wise or fatigued, whatever it really wasn't. Like I had had a string of bad races last fall and then I had this really good redeeming race with this at the Spartan race. And I came off of that just really uninterested in training not wanting to compete anymore, kind of tired of the comparison to others um, and tired of like all the expectations I set on myself. And so I woke up and I, my mom had come and traveled with me because I'm from the Midwest. And I just told her, you know, I'm just not going to run anymore. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. We'll see you, you know, we'll see you in a week back. I came back to Santa Barbara. I told my coach, I told Evan, same exact thing. Like, cool. Yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. Like, great have your, have your fun two weeks, whatever. Two, well, two weeks comes around and, you know, here I am not wanting to get off the couch to go on a run. I'm, I'm like, Hey, look at me. I'm still not running, you know? Um, and through those, through that time, I set myself with no expectations in my break again. So I wasn't like, I'm going to take two weeks off and then reevaluate. I said, I'm just going to stop running and I'll start running if I ever want to again, but I just, am done competing for now. And I ended up getting involved with <laughs> like other types of sports I got really into yoga and was doing that once a day at least I have a yoga studio that I can walk to and I just got really into that I got really into just other things um taking really long walks with my dog um something I hadn't been doing in the past or going on one to two mile runs with a dog just to wear him out um you know going up and hiking the mountains whatever it was it was other things that weren't running that I just of course, you're going to fill your time somewhere, right? You spend 15-ish hours, 15, 20 hours a week running and recovering or whatever. You're going to find some way to fill that time. So it wasn't just like, oh, just launched into, you know, my job and then didn't fill that time. I was able to do other things and connect with the community. I think because I'm such a community-driven person and that's what maybe drew me to running in the first place and continues to draw me back is the community. I had to find that community elsewhere. And so I did um, with several other places and I had time to you know volunteer a little bit at um, with a local college team and to mentor some college students in their running and just being able to fill time getting back to that community and all the while you know everyone along the way is like oh you still getting that itch you're getting ready to get back into it and every time nope 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 and you know Evan was just shocked he's like I still can't believe you're not running it's so interesting and I'm like yeah well it's just who I am now <laughs> and so that was a long time, you know, for me, it was probably the longest, definitely the longest break I've had of running since I was, I don't know, 13 years old, which is crazy. And, um, so it was a long time coming and then, um, yeah, kind of got back into it by a series of events. But if we want to talk more about the break, I'm happy to. <laughs> hey, I have a question about the break. And yeah. this is, uh, this is, uh, related to you and Evan like so I think that's so interesting that you took eight months and he was like wow I'm so surprised that you're not running because your identity as far as he's known you 
has been as a runner. And so I wonder, like, just thinking, and I may be putting words in your mouth, but it seems like that would actually be a good thing for you guys' relationship because you're like, <laughs> hey, I'm not a runner, and he still likes me. Yeah, that's so funny because, like, right when I finished talking, I was like, oh, I should have mentioned that. You, you know, you were right on. Um, one, he was sad a little bit, though, because he's like, I'm sad because I love supporting you. You know, I love being there and watching you finish that, like, and I was, like, kind of sad for him. I was like, shoot, should I go back into it so I can make him, <laughs> you know, because he he's the best supporter. I mean, the guy has, is, like, number one crew for anyone. I mean, he crewed the Western States winners in the past two years. He's just so good at supporting. Um, and so, yeah, I did feel like he was a little sad with that. But I, in turn, I was like telling my friends during this time and, you know, we were talking about it. I was like, we are living a different life. You know, we don't have, you don't have to wait around for me on a Saturday to finish my five hour run in the mountains. Let's go and do things. Um, and I don't have to worry about anything. You know, let's like live this, new level version of our relationship um, which is so funny so we had a lot of fun with that of just like you know having more time to spend together and um, not me having to go to or really being tired all the time going to bed or waking up you know what I mean it's just like when you run and you train it's a lot of sacrifice on yourself but on your family or whoever you're with your partner whoever um, because it's a lot of time and you know as you know they love it and support it you know Evan loves it supports it all the way through but also it takes a toll on relationally too so it was cool to have that extra energy to you know do whatever we needed wanted to do that weekend or you know have weekends free I remember thinking oh my gosh I have like Saturday and Sunday free like what do people do on the weekends that aren't training <laughs> so I, I love that answer for a couple reasons one is um my wife and I have done some similar things over the years where we were just like, Hey, let's not run both of us. Cause we both run, let's not run both of us for a couple of weeks. And we'll like, we'll like stay up late to like yeah. mid midnight, Ooh, midnight. And we'll watch a movie, you know, like stuff we never do. And that that's so fun to experience that. And, and the other thing that I think is so fun about this conversation is to hear the mental process of elite, professional, dedicated athletes and know, hey, the weekend warriors, the people that we're coaching that are not Olympic caliber athletes that run three to four days a week, that you and we and Chad, all of us experience the same like mental struggles and mm. processes and there is a time to take a break and a time to come back. And, and I just love that idea of like pulling back the curtain of your life and getting to see like those struggles and, and pick out personally, like, oh yeah, I, I identify with that one. Oh yeah, I've done that one before. I just think that's so freeing for everyone to be able to hear. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I also made a mindset shift and like thinking like time-wise, I was always thinking within the season, like what, how can I become the best this season? And I wasn't thinking, how can I be the best in five or 10 years or really, you know, best person too, of course. But like in my training, 
I was so caught up in like that instant gratification and I couldn't have any patience. And I thought, and I think even when I stopped running, I was like, I'm never going to get back into it because this was my one chance. And I went in a crude, um, the Canyons 100K, Adam Peterman, I crewed him. And I, during that crew weekend, I was around all these ultra people. It was like my first entry back into the running world after some months away. And I had like four people say, oh, what are you training for? And I said, oh, I'm retired. And they all looked at me and they go, oh, okay, well, how old are you? That's a little early for retirement, don't you think? And I was like, well, I'm 27. I've been doing it for a while. Come on, you know? But it's so true. I wasn't ever thinking like, this is a sport in a community that people do long-term and people are having their best experiences when in their mid thirties, mid forties, fifties. And it's really cool to see that. And I just was so caught up in that instant gratification of like, I need to have results now or else it's not for me or why, why do it? So I don't know where I was starting with that, but yeah, time-wise long-term. Yeah. And that's something I say to all my athletes getting started is like, I'm about consistency over time. Like it's not just about this season, you know, it's a long-term plan. I think people across the board struggle with that. You know, I think we're so just want to see pretty instant gratification. Um, And I like, I just, I've been listening to the Huberman lab podcast a lot, which I know Jay, you like that one too. Um, and he, he talked about this thing within strength training and it, you know, is applicable during training as well. But like we talk about, say like increasing your mileage by 10%, right? And I think I've always had a, a tendency to want to jump further down the line and make bigger jumps. Like how much can I get away with increasing my mileage? How much can I get away with increasing, you know, my threshold running? Um, and he was saying, you want to actually try to get as much adaptation out of as little increase as you can. So you kind of like milk that increase as much as you possibly can, because physiologically you're getting a response by increasing a certain amount. So I like that switch of that mindset of like, I'm not trying to jump far down the line. I'm actually shorting myself if I do that. I want to try to milk every little bit I can along the way. And you get this mindset of like slow progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And- I'll tell you, Chad, from from someone who is a little bit older than you guys, not a ton, but um, man, that that is the way. And Courtney, you know this from coaching, you know, just older athletes and Chad, you do too. Like that is definitely the way as you get older. Like, man, if I go run 100 miles in a week, which I used to be able to do, you know, in high school after running 50, I could go a hundred and I was fine or college, man, if I do that now, everything falls apart and it's not even necessary to do it now. Like, because those small incremental changes still are giving me a stimulus. So I love that. I love that idea for longevity and also for, and it really applies good to younger athletes too, because then you don't skip development steps. So it really does apply across the board. But we all do admit that most, uh, most athletes that have some success have made some successful jumps that didn't hurt them, that were significant. Yeah, which sometimes that's like the accumulation of training that you did that you didn't necessarily see that big jump. And for whatever reason, you know, it just catches up with you and you, you get the benefits of all of that. 
Um, but Courtney, in thinking about like this whole time away, like for, for one, I guess I'd like to say that's impressive to me to do that because I feel like it takes a certain amount of bravery to just leave the thing that you know, you know? And I, I feel like there's been times, I mean, I kind of did that a little bit, jumping into cycling and triathlon stuff, but to do it completely, I think it's a braver way of going about it. Um, but I think that probably a lot of our athletes who live more normal lives, who look at elites, maybe don't understand how intensive that lifestyle is sometimes. So you kind of took this break that I think is more similar to how their lives are, where they have people they interact with who are not runners, right? Because I feel like you were in Flagstaff. It's like the mecca of running. Like, was that, is the, I, I know you said the community was big to you. Was it also overwhelming to be so immersed in that? Yeah, for sure. And I think moving to Santa Barbara was a recalibration of like entering into reality. Like it, Flagstaff is great in a lot of ways, but it is for some athletes, it's like a dream world and a dreamscape that you can escape kind of reality and like put your nose down, down and grind with the best of the best. And you live in this like world that really isn't reflected anywhere else. Like maybe you get a little pockets of it in Boulder or, you know, Bend or something, but, um, you know, like moving to Santa Barbara where the running I'd say is arguably just as good, if not better, it's obviously not elevation, the but the community is so different. Um, and it can't, this town can't foster a professional community because of just several reasons. Uh, one being it's just super expensive. And what that means though, is the community here, everybody works, you know, is everybody really just kind of in reality, right? And so I think moving, graduating um, from grad school, getting into the real world, starting to work a, a job that was, you know, full-time work. I had a big like leveling up I needed to do if I needed to, if I wanted to still do the running and the working, um, you know, and supporting our lives here. And so there was a big calibration, I think, um, learning how to do that. And I think the breakaway helped me, but also I think the people in Santa Barbara helped me be able to take that step because I was like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Nobody here knows my, me as a runner. And so I think that was really easy to transition out of really quickly because the people we were meeting here in our community I didn't ever present myself, oh, I'm a runner. Like, that's what I do. I was kind of like kept it on the back burner. You know, I'd go to these races and people would kind of figure it out because Evan would go around and tell people, which love that. But, you know, I tried to like kind of put in the background because I was wanting to just be part of the community and not be associated with running for the first time in my whole life. And so taking that step away, I think I was really supportive of the community here because I would sit down with my friends and be like, yeah, I'm not going to run anymore. They're like, oh, okay, cool, you know. Where it's like, maybe if I was in Flagstaff and I was meeting with my training partners, I was like, I'm not going to run anymore. They'd be like, oh, you know, like, and I love them for that. But like these people here wouldn't know me for that and wouldn't care and didn't care. And so that was really helpful in my, in my transition out. <laughs> and now they're all like, wait a second, you just ran this huge race? And like, who are you? <laughs> like, oh gosh. <laughs> uh, so let's circle back a little bit. Cause I think um, there's obviously like, and that we ex all experience, I think, all these outside environment and factors that sometimes mess up this like genuine love of what we're doing. So like, what was the genesis? Like I had such a 
different entry into running, right? Like Ryan's just killing it. It's pretty obvious that this is a good route for me to go down. I'm always interested, like, how did other people find this thing, you know, that we all love to do? What was your entry into running and kind of what was that, what was it that you enjoyed about it? What was it that you loved about it? Yeah, it's interesting. I was reflecting on that question because, you know, I, my parents were runners. And so I kind of knew that I was good at the sport growing up. I was highly athletic as a child, run, doing soccer, you know, all the time doing track, whatever it was. And so I knew I wanted to do running in high school and, and make it kind of something that I wanted to put my mind to and see. You know, I didn't go out thinking, oh, I'm going to be super good at this and make it into college or run run professionally. I was never a child that was like, I want to be an Olympian. And I never actually have had the dream to be an Olympian to this day, which kind of sets me off from majority of the track runners, which is probably why I didn't make it very far in the track world. But um, I think I really like started taking it seriously because of the people. And it's interesting because the community, I think really drew me in and made me take it seriously. And the community helped me develop a belief that I could be really good at it and really take it seriously. And then I think out of the pure love for the sport, I think that was developed through that. I don't think pure love of the sport got me into it, which might be like really touchy for some people and be like, why would you do it if you didn't love it? Like, I think it was the people that drew me in. And then through time, the, the people kept me there and the people showed me why, why you should love a sport like this or why it's so special. And the, that is part of the love is the people. And so I think that's kind of, yeah, how I got involved with running <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, I think that's super cool. And honestly, it's, what impresses me about the more like general runner is like a lot of runners that come to our camps, um, you know, that we coach, they're involved with running clubs, like that's a huge component for them. And I think sometimes as elites, like we don't get that right. We're so like, this is my program, I got to hit my program. And we kind of sacrifice the social interaction that comes with maybe being a little bit more flexible with things. So I think that's actually really cool that you got into it for that reason. Yeah. And on top of that, I always felt like the professionals I was training and running with in the, in the track road world, um, they were always like, Oh, I just, I've always loved the sport. I love waking up doing long runs. I love doing tempos. And I always felt like a black sheep in that. I was like, do I just not belong here? Or, you know, I love it because I get to show up and have a good time with my friends or like, I get to go and run the grand Canyon with a group of women and just like suffer together. And like, if it was me alone, it wouldn't be fun, you know? And so, yeah, that, I think that is interesting, especially for the mass group of runners really is you get pulled into it from the people, not really because running 10 miles sounds super fun after never running before. <laughs> yeah. I remember you saying something on Ryan's pod when the podcast you did with Ryan, uh, I think you said that it became kind of lonely uh, with at least the running on the, on the track scene, what, what kind of brought about that loneliness in the training? For sure. I had a really great team component in college. And I think we worked really hard to have a really great team culture. And I think team culture and running is like really polarizing. You can have a really awesome team culture and it can make every athlete their best self. But I think you can also have a sour team culture and it makes makes everybody their worst selves and feel really isolated. And I think I just kind of got caught in 
in that. And I just don't think the culture was right for me um, in Flagstaff necessarily. I think it was just really cutthroat of like, hey, this is, we're here to run and only run. And I think that was really isolating for me because I was there pursuing, you know, my career, trying to get a graduate degree at the same time and teach and be part of the college um, in Flagstaff and, but also doing running. And I think that was isolating because I wanted more of a holistic community. Um, but I felt like I was always that like tug with only being a runner. And so I think that in itself was isolating. Um, yeah, and I just wasn't enjoying myself to really the potential I, I now know I could enjoy myself with the sport. So I think it just wasn't wasn't very fun um, at some point. It became not fun. I mean, there was fun parts, of course. but Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I feel like if you're, your surroundings are really, everybody's like too similar and everyone's like so just driven for this one thing, it can really just, I feel like, get out of whack. And um I'm interested to hear about your guys' experience with coaching because I feel like for me, coaching brought this like community of my athletes, the greater context of run free and the athletes that we have. And a lot of times, man, like I said, they keep me, they teach me lessons as well, right? Because they're more immersed in like sometimes a less obsessive lifestyle, right? Because I can definitely fall into that. Um, and I love, we were at camp and uh, we, we had a little internal competition on who could have the most of their athletes at camp. And Courtney blew everybody away. <laughs> and uh, it was so cool. Like you, your athletes loved you. Like that was so amazing to just, like I, as somebody who was like from, with Run Free from the beginning, like I felt so proud of that to like just hear these like glowing reports, you know? Um, so what's, What's been the coaching aspect for you? Like, has that brought kind of a similar thing to your life as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I developed that coaching side of me during in Flagstaff because, I, you know, during that time I was like, okay, I'm around all these professionals, but like, I feel like I have a lot of experience um, that I can offer the general runner, you know, at least starting mentally and then develop co like specific coaching skills. Um, but I had felt like I'd gone through a lot of different, you know, highs and lows to be able to offer that. And so, yeah, I think my entry into coaching was just a way to connect with the community at large and to just be reminded, like you said, of that balance. I think every day my athletes teach me more than I teach them. And it's just such a good reminder of really the sport in its purest form. You know, I have athletes from a variety of stages and they are just doing really absolutely epic things that they didn't even think they could do at this age or at this stage in their life. And I want to be their number one fan because I know how cool it is to have people be your number one fans. And like, if I can give that back to them, then that's so rewarding to see them go and pursue things that they thought were challenging or they thought their body could never do. And so I feel like I'm a coach that really values the athlete as a person before runner. And I always make sure to tell an athlete that on my, you know, first kind of point of contact with them is like, you have these goals and we're gonna, the only way you're going to get them is if we can make you the best version of yourself in your life. And like, we need to work your life around the goals, not your goals around the, or we need to be able to cater to the goals in a way that best suits you rather than like making your life all for this, this this certain goal you know we don't want to compromise you as a mom or a dad or a brother or sister or a daughter whatever it is 
or in your career. And I think that resonates really well with a lot of athletes because they're like, oh, I didn't know like we like that was a like that was a good outlook on things. Like every other coach I've worked with is like, hey, okay, we're gonna you want to run 340 in the marathon? Okay, this is usually how I how it goes. We need to make sure we're doing this, 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 and this. And yeah, of course, you need to have benchmarks and there's a way to achieve certain goals, but I like to approach it in that really holistic sense of like, we need to make sure you're loving each day because I know how painful it can be if you don't. Yeah, yeah I think it sounds like you must have had some really good coaches in your past because I feel like I've had some great coaches too. And you get that feeling when your coach says, man, I'm so proud of your effort. You did such a great job. You get that awesome feeling. And that's part of, I think, the fuel for me anyway, to want to give that feeling mm -hmm. to someone else. And be like, I'm so proud of your workout. You crushed it today. You're going to race really, really well. And then, and then they do race well. And you get to encourage them again. Like that's that, like you feel it and you can't help, but want to coach others to feel the same thing. Yeah, I agree. I've had some really great coaches, but I also will say I've had some hard coaching relationships. And I think that's also for me that way, because I can see what the opposite does to you as an individual, somebody that's not your number one fan, somebody that, you know, might miss some of that emotional contact or that emotional connection um, and being a, a, a result of that and seeing how I perform and how I think about myself, how I compare is just like a really rotten route to go down as an athlete. And I, I want to like save as many people from having that relationship, that like inaccurate relationship with a coach. Um, as I can. And so I think it's a mix of having some really good coaches, but also like having some maybe not so good coaches that have really helped form me. And not that I will look back with any bitterness. I look back and say, all of that is a result of my experiences. And now I can take those experiences and make them better for other people. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I love about kind of our approach, right? Is that we have this super long questionnaire, but we get the whole context of this person and like, what what role does running play in your life because like with a lot of my athletes it's like i care about their goal because they care about their goal right like it's not making a massive difference to me you know if they break three hours in the marathon or not but i know it makes a massive difference to them but it's like what is that balance of like what is this adding to your life and not letting it ever take away from your life right because it certainly can if you let it get out of hand. And I think that's why it's so great that you've had the experiences you've had because you help people steer away from doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I always say on my first point of contact with a coach like or with an athlete, I always, running should be only an addition to your life. It should never take away anything. And so if it at any point starts to take something away, then we need to have a conversation about that, you know? Okay, so I'm gonna present you guys with a little scenario and then I think we can give you, you guys can each give me your answer. Um, you can run as much or as little as you want, but no one can see the statistics of any of your runs. You can't tell anyone about it and you can't, you, you can't know how fast anyone else can run. Essentially, you only can compare yourself to yourself. Do you still run? What does that running look like? So Courtney, we'll let you go first. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I love that because I think that is what I was trying to rein in for 
this last few months of training for this big event that I just did was I wiped, I took away all workouts. I took away all, I didn't even make a training plan. I had no coach. I just woke up and I wanted to run with people and be on my feet. And I tried to stay away from the data and I did not know who was going to run the race. And I think that was really healthy because I think in today's day and age, we have so many points of data you can get really wrapped up in. And a lot of that data is really great. And I love that. I'm like a huge data person. It's like what I do for my job. But I think at some point that data can cross the line to really push you into this world of comparison and can really be oppressive to a lot of your internal game. Because I'm always somebody that says I can train, I can race way above my training. So I can train, but once I'm on the line, I'm a competitor and I want to really like enjoy that competition because I think that's a really big strength of mine. My strength isn't in training, but a lot of people's is in training. And so there's a lot of strengths and weaknesses and everybody has a different profile of strengths and weaknesses. So what is the point of comparing those profiles against each other? You know, it's, you're not, it's going to be a zero sum game because really it goes, it, you know, brings in that holistic five approach of there's so much more than just the training that's going to get you your goals or whatever it is, cross that finish line. And yeah, and I think to stay away from the data was really refreshing for me in this part of my life. So that's how I'd answer that. I don't know if it answers it at all, but. <laughs> so so did, did you did you post stuff on Strava? Like were you, were you like interactive in terms of, um, you know, kind of people being able to engage with your, your running? Yeah, so when I soft retired, I I actually deleted Strava, Instagram. I uh, wow. went off social media entirely for that break. The trail community so that, thought you died. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would get some text messages from people who are like, hey, are you doing okay? I'm like, I'm thriving. <laughs> um, but then once I started training back, I, I, um, I really had to be aware of that and know how free I was without it and how awesome that experience was to delete all of those social media capabilities. And when I started training, I reintegrated Strava. So I did redo that and had that in night, but I, I unfollowed this ocean, shameless book. Here I go. I unfollowed like 400 people because I wanted just it to be my community of people that made me a better person. And I didn't want to be open my Strava and see someone and freak out. Oh my gosh, they're running this for, and I'm not doing that. So it was only the people I'm surrounding myself with each day. So I made sure of entering back into that in a healthy way. And then like a week or two before Trans Rockies, I re-uploaded my, or reactivated my Instagram and did the same thing. I did a clean sweep and I unfollowed like 300 people. And I was like, I just want the people that support that I feel like I'm supported by on a daily basis. And I have good thoughts when I see their things. I don't want anything to be comparison. And so I, you know, really entered back into it cautiously because I knew how harmful that could be for me and my training and for racing, whatever it was. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how my last year of social media has been. I'm back in on the game, but in a different way, in a very healthy way. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool because I feel like most things, right, can be used strategically where it can 
go either direction. I think a lot of times we either want to say something's good or bad, where it's like actually just how you use it. And so, yeah. Yeah, so that's cool that you've kind of figured out how to navigate that well. Because I'm definitely an extreme person. I just want to either like never do it, do it all the time. Like I, <laughs> but now that middle path, that's the, that's the best way usually, right? So Jay, what's your, what's your answer? All right, ask me the question again, because I want to hear it. <laughs> okay. So essentially, yeah, I mean, I'll run back through it. Okay, so this is a scenario. You can run as much or as little as you want, but no one can see the statistics of any of your runs. Which, Jay, I don't even know if you're, are you on Strava? No one can see your statistics anyways. Uh, I, I just use training peaks and, and let my coach see it. That's it. Okay, so you might already be doing this, so we already know the answer. <laughs> on that one, yeah. <laughs> He's good. Uh, uh, okay, but this is the other part. You can't know how fast anyone else can run. Essentially, you can only compare yourself to yourself. Do you still run, and what does your running look like? So I love following, like, the elite world. And I follow the elite world because I think it's super cool to watch Britson run 357 for the last mile of the 5K. I mean, that is stinking cool. Yeah, it is cool. And I follow my athlete. I do zero in between. Like I, I like following like what the world's best do and then trying to emulate that down with my athletes. And then I also follow, so there was nothing about other coaches in there. That would be the sticking point for me. Like I've got a bunch of other coaches that I call all the time and just like hash out new ideas like talk about what they've learned. Like I'm totally a student of coaching. In fact, um, you know, Irv Ray, when he was coaching you guys, um, yeah. I was writing him with paper and pen. We were, we were letter buddies about training. We would write each other back and forth. And he was so cool to do that with me. And I even, uh, you remember Arthur Lydiard? Mm -hmm. the father of distance running i wrote arthur lydiard and arthur lydiard wrote back 10 or 12 times i've got his letters so though that's my thing i don't necessarily care about like what other athletes are doing except for the elites and uh i i'll answer the second part of the question this way so i've told my wife so many times i've been like hey if the world ends and I'm the last one on earth, I'm still going to do the same routine I do every day. I get <laughs> up, I'm going to have my tea, I'm going to sit and read a little bit, and then I'm going to go for a run. At this point for me, I've, I've worked through some of, and, I, and not always spot on, right? Some days I struggle with, you know, I'm not going to run, and some days I just don't, and that's fine. But I've worked through a lot of that to where I love getting out in the woods and I do love that sensation and that feeling. And, but like 90% of my training is in the woods, like, like in, on trails in the woods and then the occasional like track workout or tempo. So I would definitely run. I don't even care how fast I'm running, but I would find, I would find some epic climbs. That's what I would do. I would do like a bunch of like long uphill runs and then with like a you know a victory dance at the top <laughs> i love how, that how many long uphill runs are you doing right now 
so there's a, a four-mile straight-up hill uh, okay. run that we do, like, at least once a week um, in a single track in forest access roads. That's the longest one we have here. But uh, I don't know. Four miles is pretty good. That's pretty – yeah, depending on the gradient, that's pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You? What would you yeah. – how would you answer that? I don't know. It might be more complex for me because, like – as a cyclist, I got very into Strava, like so much is like trying to set like KOMs on different climbs and stuff. So like there is this aspect of being part of that community and people engaging with what you're doing. Um, and I think the comparison thing more so is why I said that like you can't know anybody else's times is like how do I stack up with other people or if I'm... And we talked about this a little bit on the podcast with Ryan too, just the sensation of running and the sensation of running fast. And Jay, you were like, it's not that much different running a 5K now. I still feel fast versus, you know, running two minutes slower than my 5K PR. So like, do I love that sensation by itself and the experience of running? Or do I love running fast for the performance aspect of that? You know, like the time associated with other people can do or even and like, I guess even more so, I would like to remove it from even what like Jay with your 5K PR, like what I have done that I can still enjoy a 5K that's slower than my PR just because the run felt good. I felt strong. Like, again, yeah, that I think that idea of just loving the sensation of running is, is a really cool one. And I think it's worth pursuing. Mm -hmm. yeah that's so true and like what jay said about being in, out in the woods or whatever like yeah i feel like so much myself i feel like i come alive when i'm out in the mountains or out on trails i just am my uber self and so yeah that sensation so cool i had somebody ask me a couple weeks ago they're like so are you so excited you never have to run a 30 second 200 again in your life and i was like that's an interesting question but the answer is no, I love the feeling of running fast. So I'm like a flat track. That's amazing too. Just as amazing it is as it is playing in the mountains, you know? So that sensation is, is absolutely epic too. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. Well, so let's get into a little bit. You just did trans Rockies. So I know that when we were at camp, uh, you were talking about running a marathon where you just winged it. You just, your friend was doing it. You signed up like the next day, right? And Ryan was like, what was your time? And I think you refused. You're like, who cares what my time was? I just ran it. Um, so I guess a little bit, you jump back into just, like you change your mentality around racing, around what you're doing. And even I saw your most recent Instagram post, you're talking about wearing a skirt because you can't take yourself seriously in a skirt, right? Uh, so what was, what was it that got you back into the running scene again? Yeah, for sure. So back to when I was crewing Canyons 100K. This is the second year that I've been at Canyons 100K, not running, just crewing or being around people there. Um, and it was an awesome event, which if anyone knows, if anyone doesn't know what Canyons 100K is, it's essentially 100K that goes the opposite direction from Western States, which Western States Endurance Run is one of the, like the top ultra endurance runs in the world and especially in the United States. And so it has a great uh, buzz of energy people. It brings in a ton of elites. And I drove up there with Obi and we crewed Adam 
and Adam ended up winning. And I also had seen during that crew time, some of my Santa Barbara friends running it and just like having a great time. They were eating quesadillas. They were just like having a great, good old grand time ultra running. And this is before and, Western States, right? Yeah, this was in April. Because then Peterman so, comes back and wins Western States this year. which Heck yeah, crewed him so. for both. <laughs> yeah, nice. two for two. Um, and so I we were driving back um, from Auburn. It was like a five-hour drive. And I remember I didn't turn on any podcast, any music. It was just me and Obi. And I was just driving and I felt like there were people that asked like, oh, you trained for anything? No, whatever, I retired. Um, oh you're so young okay great whatever I was driving back and I was like there seems to be there's a feeling in my stomach and I'm not sure what it is and so I like really just sat and like thought up thought about it for the hours of the drive and I for the first time in several several months I had missed something about running and it wasn't that I wanted to go out there and win 100 100k it wasn't that I you know wanted to break a personal best or really wanted to train again it was really the people so that was like my introduction back into that ultra trail world and just being around people and I was like oh man I really miss these people and so I came back to Santa Barbara and I had missed you know running a lot with my the women and some of the men out here that we train with in the mountains and so I just kind of started to tag along in some of their runs and I was severely out of running shape, which was great. I would show up and they would do like 20 and I would do like four. And it was awesome. And, you know, through that, I, I was just like, cool, I'm just going to keep running like four miles a day. Just try to be healthy with running and implement it back into my life while still doing these other things. And then I actually got the opportunity um, to... Um, I got an email from Under Armour, my previous sponsor, and they had, they sponsored Trans Rockies and they reached out and like, would you like a spot, a sponsored spot to run Trans Rockies? And I looked into it. It was something that always kind of piqued my interest and Trans Rockies for anyone that doesn't know is a six day stage race across the Rocky mountains. It goes from Buena Vista to Vail, Colorado, 120 miles across six days. Essentially you run variety between 12 and 25 miles a day and then you camp wake up and do it again rinse repeat until you make it to Vail and 120 miles for me you know I mean that was way out of what I was doing you know that was whew, way out there the max mileage I had ever done in my life was 75 miles a week and so that would have been like huge you know something massive and I saw that email and I thought about it and you know, it was one of those things just as quickly as I had quit running, I was like, well, why not? You know, why not just sign up for that? I can always not do it or I can always walk it. And so that was kind of my entry back into things. And so I had signed up for something essentially that was way out of my caliber, way different than anything I've ever done. And I think, and I took 12 weeks of running of like training from day one to the race it was 12 weeks. And I came back on Strava during that time and I entered into it with the idea of this is just something I want to do to finish because I want to see if I can become strong enough and get my body to that finish line. And that was really my idea of going about training. You know, I had like ideas of I wanted to run at least a few 22 milers or something so I would feel prepared. And there were times in those 12 weeks where I was like, 
uh, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm severely undertrained. The second week back training, I jumped into a road marathon. I had never done a road marathon. Um, and it was because one of my friends had offered to, she was like, can I come stay with you? I'm going to run this road marathon. I was like, oh, we have a road marathon going on. Why don't I just do it? Um, and so it was, the training was really about jumping into things that I was unprepared for and seeing how I responded to that. And I think I loved how I responded to it because after the road marathon, I went to Crested Butte and did some crazy runs with you guys and I died and I came back and I was like, I'm not going to be able to do Trans Rockies. I can't even run or walk at altitude. I was dying the whole time. And so I think it was a lot of just having no expectations other than I wanted to finish and I wanted to have a good time. And so that was each day of my training, that was my goal was like, remember why you're doing this? You're doing this for a goal to finish and to have fun. And so each day had to be that. And within those 12 weeks, I look back on it after and I realized about 90% of those runs were with people, barely any time I was running alone. Um, 90% was with people, probably 90, 95 were up in the mountains, um, just really playing playing around up there and like exploring new areas, new trails, dying in some of the heat, finding new water sources, whatever it was, and just being out there and, and kind of seeing a new version of myself in training. Nice. That's awesome. So then how did the race play out? <laughs> so the race was, oh man, I now look back on it and I'm thinking, this is like top five experience in my life. Like literally there, it's just, it was absolutely amazing. I highly recommend anyone doing an event like this. Um, and so day one, um, I remember thinking, okay, well, I need to really make sure I'm not like getting caught up in the competitive side of things. Like that was really, I had prepared really well and really away from all um, comparison and, you know, I wasn't interested in doing well. I was interested in finishing and feeling strong. And so day one, I needed to make sure that don't get caught up in going out and being stupid. You know, don't, don't do that. Don't convince yourself you've done this good training and then just like blow it all during the race. And so I made sure to go out really slow and just run my own race. And what ended up happening almost every day was I would run my own race for the first three to four miles. And then I'd kind of, you know, see the race people up there, they went out way too fast or whatever. And I start a big climb and I would just be in my zone jamming away. And what ended up happening was I would catch the lead women each day on the climbs. Um, I think the Santa Barbara trails really prepared me well for the climbing. That they're just massive mountains here that are a hidden gym. I probably shouldn't be saying this because we try to keep it on the down low, but great training for trails and especially anything that's climby and technical. And so I just started powering up all the climbs and, you know, never got to the point where I was like redlining um, each day. I really made sure I was just like out there enjoying it and having a hard effort. Sure. But like, not to the point where I was like, like, that would remind me of my past trail racing of like just redlining and then like try to stay on and try to have the wheels stay on and not let go and so that kind of was how each day went um the first few miles of each day I really tried to remember my training and I was talking to a friend in Santa Barbara before I'd left and she was talking about how each day on her walks she holds space for a certain person in her life or a certain group of people 
and just allow us like 10 to 15 minutes to really focus on those people and like kind of thank them, just give them space, energy, whatever it is. Um, and so I tried to think of people that got me to this place and why I'm here. And so I really was trying to be reflective the first 10 to 15 minutes. And then I think it set the tone for me to just kind of jam out um, and the trails and just have a good time. I did have some days that I felt like I was erring on the side of being too competitive. And so when I did that, <laughs> I would plug in my music and listen to big booty mixes, which I don't know if you know what those are, but they're are like an hour long EDM mix that like plays 15 seconds of these like old and new songs. It's like this huge mashup oh and it would get my mind off of everything. <laughs> I should be dancing and having a good time. There's some photos of, of me that some of the photographers got that I'm just like dancing in my own world because I needed to take my mind off of that and be like, you know, you don't need to go and try to like break any records today. You're, you're here for your, for, you know, the journey you're on. So <laughs> Were you yeah. paying attention to your placing at all overall throughout the race? Yeah. So what ended up happening was I won the first two stages, um, which was great. I mean, I didn't, you know, I had people texting and calling like, oh, okay, here you are just out here sandbagging. I'm like, no, I'm literally like, I'm not trying. I just, I'm, I mean, I'm trying, but I'm not trying to go and win and like prove it to anyone. You know, I'm just. Um, <laughs> <Sand-packing>. <laughs> um, and so I was in the lead the first two days, day three was in Leadville and we woke up, I, we slept at 10,500 feet. I woke up and I felt super nauseous because I'd probably eaten too many pop tarts the day before. <laughs> and I tried to shove down pop tarts before. And what ended up happening was I was just puking and rallying for the first 15 miles. It was a 25 mile day. So I got to the point where it was like literally mid mileage of the whole week and I was throwing a pity party and I was like, I literally am trying to find a way that I can just take a flight back to Santa Barbara. You know, I got to the point where I was like really suffering and having just that, those moments of like, okay, this is why it's really hard. And I stopped at the aid station and I chugged probably a liter of, of ginger ale, ate a ton of watermelon and at that point I decided I was like you didn't come out here for butterflies and roses you came out here for this feeling you came out here to fight through this feeling and to be you know back in that suffering because that's that's the rewarding part is when you can get to that space and be like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna rally and finish and so I like had a little bit of a pity party and then was able to like finish out the day and so I lost my lead on day three and I think that was really healthy and helpful because I was like sweet I have no expectations now you know and I'm like, okay, but you haven't had expectations until like, for some reason, now you're in the lead and you feel like you need to like continue to win. It's and, hard it was a not good... to. Yeah. yeah if you're, good... if you find yourself there, you're like, how do I not? I've had so many thoughts where like this, like racing where I'm like, this sucks, but I'm leading. I can't drop out in the lead. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. And so it was really good. I think reality check of like, okay, now you're not in the lead. So just recalibrate. Here we go back in, you know, you have three more long days. And the last three days were, were beautiful. I just got back into that mindset and jammed out and had a good time and got to run with some really cool people and had a little bit more puking rallying, but ended up being able to hold off on the win by the last day. And it was just, yeah, it was amazingly emotional and like high highs with low lows just to be an awesome experience. 
So is that race like the tour where everybody starts together every day and you bank time if you're ahead and yeah. Okay. Yep. That's pretty yep. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, congratulations. Cause that's like, I, it, having dabbled in the trails, like I kind of can't imagine like that's just coming back day to day, like having your legs beat up like that. And then, I mean, altitude, especially altitude hills, um, trying to eat and keep up with calorie intake, like stomach issues get real. So that must have been brutal. Yeah, I'm not the one to talk about running nutrition. Don't even ask me because I was not able to take in more than 200, 300 calories each run. And these runs were like four hours. So I think the what saved me though, and what is worth mentioning is I wasn't able to ingest much calories or take anything. I was battling nauseousness for a lot of it. Um, but as soon as I crossed the finish line to the time I went to bed, I was never without calories in my mouth, whether it was ginger ale or pop tarts or <laughs> mix of both. Um, yeah, I think I backloaded calories so much that I woke up the next day each day and felt actually better each day. I think my soreness went away from day one to day six after the finish, the next day I woke up, my body was fine, which is wild. Like our bodies can do amazing things, especially when you fuel them well and when you give them what they need to recover. And so I think that was like really key. And I've been like telling all of my friends around here, I'm like, I don't know how that happened, but if you can't get the nutrition in during the race, for some reason, get it in after and continue to get it in because your body will use that. I don't recommend what I did during the running, but <laughs> yeah. I think people, because like in cycling, you learn that process because you do do stage racing. You do learn how to fuel repetitive efforts. Granted, it's not as difficult on your stomach. So I think that's a huge challenge with running. But that said, I think people misidentify fatigue is like not being, not having enough nutrition on board. Because like if you're, if you experience these huge drop-offs in your performance, that's probably because you're out of calories, not necessarily just that you have fatigued your muscles and your, your body overall. Yeah. Ryan, yeah. Ryan said that several on several podcasts that uh, most poor performances or workouts are actually poor fueling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you see that huge drop off, that's usually what that is. You know, you don't just go from say if your marathon race pace is six minute pace and then all of a sudden you're running 10 minute pace that's not normal. That's not a normal fatigue rate, right? Yeah, um, that's a bonk. Yeah. But Courtney, I think, did you, in proper preparation, did you eat just Pop-Tarts every day for like six <laughs> days straight to make sure your stomach was adequately used to it? <laughs> okay, so I tried to eat them for breakfast and dessert. So, you know, you start and end okay. the day in the right ways. <laughs> Everything okay. in between was just ginger ale. <laughs> So as a fellow Pop-Tart connoisseur, what's your, what's your flavor of choice? Oh, you know, it depends on the mood. I've been getting a lot of these questions recently because I've really outed myself as a Pop-Tart connoisseur on social media. So please give me a follow if you're interested in Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Last podcast, it was the dinosaur oatmeal, but we're moved on to Pop-Tarts. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah. We've grown up to Pop-Tarts yeah. from dinosaur oatmeal. <laughs> <We've grown. laughs> yeah, we've matured and... So yeah, it really depends on the mood. So like the first three days, I was really onto the brown sugar, um, the brown sugar pop tarts for the breakfast of choice, and then the the double chocolate for the dessert. And then day three happened, and it was you know big pukey day, 
And so one of my Under Armour teammates was like, hey, maybe you should switch up the, the flavor for the next day. So of course, you know, I had my whole backpack of Pop-Tarts that had to be separate from the camp backpack because, or else they would be crushed and moving from camp to camp. And so I got out of my backpack and I had the strawberries. Strawberries was day four, five, and six. That was the key. I needed to change it up. So okay. it totally depends on the mood, time of day, you know. Yeah, you got you got lots of options there, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you tried the Fruit Loops? There's a Fruit Loop Pop Tart. Try the Fruit ah, Loops. Ah, all right. I'll <laughs> how about, be looking into this. How about Annie's Pomegranate Pop Tart? Yeah, that's uh, pretty good. That ranks high. So do the Trader Joe's ones. But you know, I'm trying to be true to Pop Tarts because <laughs> trying to get them to support me and my endurance fueling. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. That's awesome. no off-brand. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Um, well, we should wrap things up soon, but Courtney, I love this idea because I think this is such a cool thing, the community that got you in there, that gets you back into it. How do you manage that? Like, what is the best way, you know, like we were talking about using things strategically, the community can be a negative impact on you or it can be a positive impact. Like, how, how are you now reintegrating that into your program? Yeah. Great question. I think thinking through your community, like being really intentional about who your community is. And so that's something, you know, like I said, I allowed space for that community to come into my race days. Thinking about who you want, like, even if that means like writing out a list of your running buddies or your community around and saying like, who makes me a better person or who make, who inspires me, who motivates me, who gets me out the door to run a 25 mile run. You know, I have a handful of people that I'm thinking of when I say that. Um, and so I think understanding who those people are and really like leaning into them and something I do like each week is kind of like text a bunch of them like hey Wednesday run hey Tuesday what do you have you know and all these people are on different training plans and here I am with no training plan just wanting to run with people and so I just start getting on all their training plans and doing all their workouts or non-workouts or whatever they are and so I think having that flexibility and freedom to just be like I know what motivates me and I know what makes me better and so I need to seek that out and implement that each day because I don't remember the last time I've run alone, um, truly. I couldn't tell you. I would have to look back at my training log to tell you the last time I did a run alone because every day I run with people and and I know that that keeps me healthy and sane and loving the sport. And so just being intentional each day and, and how you choose to implement and have your community close. That's super cool. Do you feel like that's kind of like you integrating what got you into the sport, trying to like bring that to your daily training? Yeah, I think so. I think, like I said, the people that are going to encourage and motivate you and make you like feel like yourself instead of people that are going to make you feel like less of yourself. Like you're surrounding yourself with people that I feel like I value balance and other things than, you know, running. And so all my runner friends are doing so many other cool things. And so I think that's important to do that. Um, it's also, I think important to like, like make cool experiences with your community, like go that extra mile to be like, Hey, would you want to do a fast packing camping trip? Or would you want to go and do a running retreat or something? I feel like those also like out of the box experiences that are just like different and you can kind of become a child again. Like I think the trans Rockies is a place where you can remove yourself from your life and it, they market it as big kids, summer camp for big kids. 
Okay. And it's truly that like you can remove yourself and be with these people and be a child again and just run free of any pressure or expectation or, you know, you lose service for a few days and people say, oh, it gets kind of wild. But, you know, it's wild because you're just like a bunch of kids in a forest having a good time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Finding those experiences, I feel like have been helpful. And that's kind of what got me into like running in general, but the trail world. And so, yeah, following those people and those experiences. Yeah, that's super cool. So do you feel like now you've integrated into this new community in Santa Barbara? So I think that's a cool thing that you can do that where maybe trail runners are a little bit more adventurous to go out, like you're saying, do like a, a trail running trip, right? Uh, what do you, do you incorporate that at all into like your athletes? Like what would be your suggestion to people in terms of like keeping things fresh, you know, doing integrating some of that stuff? For sure. Yeah, I have. I feel like a lot of my athletes, you know, they have encouraged me to think this way too. And so then I further encourage them of like finding, you know, one of my athletes is in Iceland on a running retreat right now. And they just run eight to 10 miles a day across Iceland and have like this expedition van. Like that's cool. Not that everyone needs to go to Iceland to expedition van, <laughs> but like, you know, I had a lot of athletes come to camp this past summer. And I think like camp opportunities are really cool and I every one of them after was so inspired and motivated to go out and get new goals this fall so there's something about removing yourself I think from the normal routine and placing yourself in an opportunity to be where your mind can be expanded and challenged and your body can also be expanded and challenged in ways that you aren't used to and I think people come off of those experiences and those yeah, those opportunities and are like, whoa, okay, I can go and do this, or I want to go and do this. And so I feel like I saw that personally with camp this year and my athletes that came, I think I had like six of them and all of them are like super inspired to go hit some awesome stuff this fall. And they're like right on track doing that. And so, you know, whether or not you can like go up and leave your life and go to a camp or an expedition or whatever, you know, even something small of like finding a community group that meets every Friday and does a run and coffee, you know, just like getting yourself in those situations that so sometimes are a bit uncomfortable to get yourself into, but they're so rewarding. And so I always recommend my athletes to be involved with their running community, whether it's through the running store or a timing company, whatever, you know, there's always stuff going on that you can um, get yourself involved with. Yeah, I think that's cool because I think we become such creatures of habit as runners, mm -hmm. right? So like break the routine every so often, right? And I think it allows you to somewhat take a look back at what you have been doing and maybe make some changes. Yeah, yep. even like some of my athletes that have families that are just going on family trips and they're like, I have some really cool opportunities to go run trails and they're a road runner. I'm like, go do that. I'm not going to write you training other than go and run each day, you know, and they come back feeling excited and inspired. So I think you can even implement it into other ways that aren't just like, I'm going to leave myself, you know? Yeah. I think one of the little nuggets that kind of goes along with like finding that rejuvenation and like rekindling your energy is self-talk mm -hmm. and asking yourself good questions at the start of the day. And that's one of the habits I've gotten into. And one of my, one of my favorites, I think I recharge in two ways. And I, Courtney, it sounds you're similar. I recharge with other people that, that like I enjoy being around, but I also recharge with new venues. So like mm -hmm. I think of a new venue, like 
even if the run's not as good of a run, I still like driving 20 minutes and exploring a new trail. And so those are the questions I try to ask myself every day is, is there a place that if I went and ran, it would make me come alive? Like, mm-hmm. that's a great question. Cause there's probably like this little niche of a run that you haven't done for years and you have some nostalgia. You can go back and like recharge, or is there someone I want to reconnect with that I could run with, even if they're slower than me or faster, like just sacrifice the day. I can run 10 minute pace for a mm-hmm. five mile yeah. run. And that's fine. That, even if I'm training for something and I'm really focused one run at 10 minute pace is not going to ruin the training. So yeah, I love like self-talk, especially in the morning, like what's going to make me come alive today. And that may change the workout and that's okay. Yeah. Or like even signing up for a race going along with that is like signing up for a race that you always thought looked really cool or was in a cool place or that you never thought, well, I couldn't do that because I'm not good at that. Like, erase all of that talk of I'm not good at that and just go and see how you do with it you know like I that's like my new mantra I'm signing up for these crazy adventures and races in this fall so unprepared but I think it's because that that part of me has been reignited of hey let's go see how you do and enjoy it and that's the most enjoyable part is when you can come away and just like I had a lot of fun like maybe I got last maybe I won it but I had a lot of fun rather than doing the normal, like, okay, well, I do Boston every year, so I'm going to do Boston. Boston's great, but, like, what about the Zion Marathon? I don't know, you know, something (laughs) crazy. So what about 120-mile stage race? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what's up next for you? Well, you know, just going off typical Courtney fashion, I signed up for a 50K on Saturday, just so unprepared. (laughs) Yeah, a couple days. Yeah, great. Which one is Um, that one? (laughs) The Bulldog 50K in Malibu. Okay. Um, again, I did it because one of my running buddies is going there and running the 25K. She's like, you want to come with me? She's like, maybe the race director will give you an entry. Well, here I am. I have an <laughs> nice. entry. Um, so yeah, doing more things like that, that are just like, I'm doing it for fun. It's going to be freaking hot and long, but I'm going to do it because it's awesome. Um, my big goal race that I'm thinking about doing is the UTMB Puerto Vallarta race in Mexico. Oh, wow. A big jungle run. So there's a 50K and a 100K, and I'm toying with the idea of doing something crazy in the 100K. Like, wow. yeah, so that'd, be, that'd be a lot, but I think it sounds fun. So just seeking experiences that sound fun, challenging, and out of my kind of wheelhouse. Yeah. We race so much in our wheelhouse, but why don't we race outside of it? You know, it's so funny. That's a saying, like, why don't race? Oh, well, it's in your wheelhouse. You should do that. Like, that's great. But what about the stuff that's not in your wheelhouse? How do you know you're not good at that until you try? Yeah. So, and all these challenges that Ryan has done, he like, he said something in his last one they did where he said he wanted to come to the end of himself. And it's kind of like, and I, I, anybody who's been to that state of like pure exhaustion, there's this sort of like submission that happens where you kind of let go of yourself. Do you, do you find that in these races? Like, what is it that draws you to these, like, you know, 120 miles or six days, you went through some crazy times there, maybe doing hundred K you're going to go through some periods of times that are going to get rough. Like, what is that like for you? What draws you to that? Yeah. hundred percent. Like finding 
like the limit of yourself and really reaching into that pocket that isn't ever reached into in training. Um, we're so calculated in our training so often that we don't allow ourselves to go there. I think that's really important, especially for me right now. Um, and it's almost like finding strength and weakness. So it's like being so far exhausted and so far gone, but being so in touch with your humanity, like your real, like your reality, like I'm in this body and it's hurting and I have to get this body and these bones 10 more miles. I think that's in the moment, the hardest, but coming out of that, it's the most rewarding feeling. So euphoric in so many ways to look yeah. back and be like, I was able to somehow suffer in each of those moments each of those steps and be so present and get myself to that finish was just it's so cool and I feel like it's yeah it's reaching into your humanness and reality more than anything else and maybe that's just me as an adventurer and adrenaline junkie but that's my hot take so uh I have a um I have a would you rather um mm -hmm that I think, I think we should just think about it and not answer, and maybe we'll answer it in a later podcast. Okay. Um, so would you rather have the world record, but never win another race again? Or would you rather never get the world record, no matter what you do, but you win every race that you run the rest of your life? So that's, like that's so we'll, could, we'll, we'll consider this until the next podcast episode. Yeah, okay. yeah let's save it. So, I think uh, I, I need to I need to come back on as a host then. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, 